attention sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The results are there. Income growth for the bottom decile, the bottom 10% of the population, it's 6.5%. You know, since the president was elected, we've created 56,000 auto jobs in America. And so everything is li- has lifted off, and, and our view is it's just going to continue. These immigrants, when immigrants come here with their hopes and dreams and aspiration and determination to make the future better for their families, that optimism, that courage, their American traits and all of these immigrate, immigrants make America more American. I am always optimistic, you know, but now it's just vital. Congress must act. The president has made this a priority, continues to make it a priority in every way he possibly can exercise his authority. But look, this is Congress, courts, and criminals. That's who we got to fix. And now, Stacey Washington. All right, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here. In hour two, we're going to chat with Seton Motley, the founder of Less Government. We are also going to be continuing our conversations around a number of different topics. Um, Interesting, interesting, interesting. More than a third of New Yorkers say they can't afford to live in New York and the two huge makeup companies. So I'm going to give you that info right now. Um, Oh, actually, we have callers. So let me just quickly give you the two makeup companies that are planning to donate uh, to Planned Parenthood. Uh, They're doing an actual campaign and they're being very open about it are MAC, M-A-C Cosmetics, and Benefit. Now, this is really, honestly, it's a personal choice. If you don't want to give up your MAC Cosmetics or your Benefit Cosmetics, you know, don't, 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 look, it's up to you. You, you do you, but I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to frequent these places anymore. There's so much makeup out there. You know what is shocking to me is Sometimes I'll stumble onto one of these kind of makeup gurus, they're influencers on YouTube, and I'll watch a few of their videos. And I notice a lot of them aren't, they're not using these mainstream makeup companies. They're using brands that you can find at Ulta or Sephora. And they're not really huge brands, but they have some component to it that the makeup person likes. Like it goes on smoother, it goes on easier, whatever. And I know for a lot of people, they're like, I don't wear any makeup. And you know what? God bless you, those good jeans, that perfect skin, you know, all that. You just, I, I want to have some of that. You can squeeze some of it out of your pinky and give it to me. I'd be awesome. But for those of us who do wear makeup, you, you, we have to start being careful. It's just like we don't go to Target anymore. Just like we're thinking we probably won't be going to Walmart anymore here in a minute. If they don't come to their senses, we, are, you know, those of us who want to do that, I just want you to be aware. We're talking about MAC Cosmetics and Benefit. Uh, MAC Cosmetics has already given $1.6 million to Planned Parenthood since 2008, according to Forbes. And Planned Parenthood aborts 330,000 babies a year. They're the largest single abortuary in the United States. We have an abortion rate of about 958,000, sorry, 900, yeah, 958,000, so just shy of a million. And that is per the Guttmacher Institute. Those numbers, I believe, were for 2016. Um, We should be getting the 2017 reportable year statistics coming in pretty soon. So the abortions are down. The number of abortions per year in this country are down, but Planned Parenthood's number of abortions is actually up by 11%. So we don't want to fund them in any way. If we can get away from funding them in our private lives, it can help offset the fact that we're forced to support them through our taxpayer dollars uh, by our government. So let's go back to the phones. I love it when people hold over. Um, James in Indiana, thanks for calling the show today. Hello. Hey. What's your comment? Uh, this is James. Yeah. What's your comment today? Um, 
I'm a veteran, Army veteran from 73 to 77. Awesome. Thank you for your service. Awesome. Thank Uh, you. That's the time when they were changing over from giraffes-based Army to a volunteer. And I think we've created a fantastic military force, but I do believe we should still have the draft. I think citizens in this country need to have a little skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And at a draft to fill in, uh, fill in the service of demand when we are in conflict, and we seem to have trouble maintaining the number of troops we need to uh, for you know, support troops and so forth. So I think we, I think we do need a, a draft system to, um, like I say, have uh, the citizens more involved with for uh, what this country's uh, involved with in other countries. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm listening and I tend to have a different view. I think the all volunteer service is more effective. Um, you know, just because the people who are there want to be there. Um, I think when we had the draft and it's been a wartime situation, people were happy to step up and ones who weren't happy to step up used, you know, deferments or they used their connections or what have you, uh, religious exemptions and they didn't go in, which we're, we're better off when people use those exemptions and don't go in because oh, you don't want someone reluctantly you. by you. Um, so well, thank I, you. Thank I you, James. For, okay, oh, okay. Sure. Sure. No, you volunteered for, please. I don't want to cut you off. I volunteered for, for service. I wasn't drafted. Yeah. 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 No, I just feel that, the, no, that, the, yes, we have the best military force ever. I'm just saying that for the, for the citizens of this country, that they need to have a little skin in the game to, because at that time, and still, I hear still that where people don't really appreciate the uh, the people in uniform. Yeah, and like I, said, I got a lot of that. That so sentiment I, I is is widely expressed why. nowadays. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you, James, for calling the show. Yeah. I I, I want to say just in response to what he was saying. Um, so it is widely known, especially if you live in an area that doesn't have a military base, people tend to have a view of the military as in you couldn't make it in high school, so you go in the military, or you're not college material, so you go in the military. But the fact is, a lot of people who are in the military go in intentionally because they want to serve their country, and they want the training and the benefits, and they want to have that experience under their belt. They want to go into an environment where they're out of their comfort zone, and they want to prove to themselves that they can withstand it. And so it is good to have people all volunteer. I think what we're going to end up seeing is kind of a hybrid of that because military recruiters for the past 10 years have been reporting that they used to be able to just go to a high school, set up a table, and they'd have enough people who would be willing to join the military. And those people, the ones who wanted to join, would pass the test because they were physically fit and they had the mental aptitude to pass the ASVAB or you know what have you, the military test. Nowadays, they have people who want to get in, but they're too fat to pass the test. They, their body weight and their BMI do not match the standard. And so they're told, you got to go lose some weight and come back. And often they don't come back. So there's that. And then there's the lack of mental capital where they're literally going to high schools and kids are saying, yeah, I want to I want to join. They take the test and they can't meet the bare minimum to be a cook or bottle washer in the military. Literally cannot get into the military because they, did, they haven't learned enough in high school. So we might end up with a, you know... Um, you know, a, a hybrid where we're drafting some people because we just can't get enough able bodies. Um, a lot of health doctors who speak about the health of our country as it pertains to weight and physical fitness, they've said if you take the people out who are on some kind of um, like something to help with 
autism, something to help with um, mental stability, anxiety, drugs. If you take all those people out of the population, that's like a third of all Americans are taking something for that. You take all those out and then what you have left is a bunch of people some are physically fit, but a lot of the people who are left are also, they're obese, they're, they're too fat to get in the military. They're saying we are actually going to quickly approach a time where we have a crisis, where we can't get enough people to join the military. It's pretty amazing that that would be the situation. Bill in West Virginia, thanks you, thank you for calling the show today. Hey, Bill, thanks for calling the show. Sorry. Um, yes, I'd like to make two comments if I can, Stacey. I was going to make a comment on abortion, but I'd like sure. to make a comment on what you were just talking about, the draft. Mm-hmm. I go back to, I graduated in 1963, and if I, if I was trying to get a good job, I couldn't do it because I was A1 on the draft, okay? The draft, to me, was a good thing because even people, people who had no plans of going in the military, when they went in the military, the military instills something upon a person that you will get no place else. And mm-hmm. you usually wind up carrying that with you for the rest of your life mm-hmm. through your career. So it builds a lot of good character. And when I, and I remember one of the statistics when I got out, they said the people that made careers most of the time were not people that enlisted, but people that were drafted and found out how much they really loved it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think for all of our, I think this world, this country we live in today would be a different country if they still had the draft. There'd be a whole lot more young people walking around with pride for themselves mm-hmm. and the country than what they do right now. You know, that's okay, so Bill, Bill, yes. that's a great comment. And, uh, and I want to, you, you piqued my interest there because you mentioned that people were drafted in. My dad was actually drafted in. He was in college and then he made some bad grades and he was out for one semester and he got drafted in to go to Vietnam And then after that, he did the same thing you just described. He made a career out of it. And because he was in the military, I ended up growing up in Germany, me and my sister both. My sister was born in Panama, of all places. And both of us are different than if he stayed in this small town in the South that he grew up in and maybe worked at the factory. And me and my sister, because he he dated my mom since high school, so they probably still would have been married. We would end up living in Tennessee or Kentucky and completely different lives than what we ended up having. And so the point that you're making is well taken. And I, I, I think... Sometimes the thing that we think won't be good for us, you just made some points, very strong points as to why it could be very good for America. Because right now we have a lot of people running around this country who not only do not appreciate the military, they don't appreciate this country and they don't know anything about it. And you learn a lot about America when you join the military, whether you're drafted or not. And, and so that's a good point. Well, I just want to make one more. When I, sure. I didn't stay in the military. I was in for five years in the Air Force. I went to Vietnam, 67, 68. But... When I was when I got out, I tried to get a job with the phone. Well, before I went in, I tried to get a job, but could not because they wanted to draft. But when I got out, I was hired by AT and T, and what did it for me? I was competing. I did not have college. There was fourteen people there for four jobs. Three of us didn't have college. I thought, well, I might as well leave. And when I was getting ready to leave, the man who was interviewing from New York said, "Step outside with me, young young man." You, before we left New York, we knew you had the job because of your Air Force record. Mm. But it does, you know, whether you, whether you stay in the military or you don't stay in the military, it builds character in people. They, mm. And, okay, so I'll, I'll, 
But I'd like to make a comment on abortion if I could. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go for it. Okay. I was listening before about the heartbeat. You know, I, I go a little bit... I, I go to Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Mm-hmm. Okay. And before thou comest forth out of the belly, out of the womb, I sanctified thee. Mm-hmm. Isn't that true for all of us? So it would, is true. Wouldn't that be before the heart? That's a conception. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we as Christians should be putting forth more than, than heartbeat. It should be conception. It should be. I mean, but I think people are trying to, I think all of the people who are pro-life are trying to come at this from an incremental standpoint, as in first, let's get it from the heartbeat. You know, that's something that it has, it's catchy. It has the heartbeat bill. It's something that people remember and something with a heartbeat. If you know you're stopping a heartbeat, you know, you're killing something. So they're trying to go incrementally. I agree with you. It's from conception to natural death that we are not supposed to touch God's anointed and he's clear about who the anointed is. It's anyone who's been formed by him. He knows us before the deeps, before he formed the deeps of the earth. He knew all of us, every single one of us, which means from the moment we're conceived, he is already, he knits us together in our mother's womb. That's him doing that work. So I, I agree with you, but I think the, what, what I've learned from being in the pro-life movement and, and listening and sitting at the feet of the, I consider the, these women to be my spiritual mothers where they're, they're women who have more experience than I have and they've been in the fight longer than I have. And they have told me, you know, we, we all of us in the pro-life movement are from conception to natural death, but there are others out there, partners who are trying to get, it's, it's like, how do you win a war? Well, you don't win by taking everything at the same time. A war is won by taking the hill that you're on and then you rush in and take the next hill and you might suffer some losses, but you're trying to take as much as you can when you can. And I think that's what the the heartbeat bills and, and other legislation like that are trying to do. Super important for us to support it, and but to always pray and work for the ultimate, which is no abortion at all legally. Um, all right. We'll have Seton Motley, the founder of Less Government, when we get back. Keep it here. American Family Association President Tim Wildman. Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan, two Texans, support and believe in our ministry here at AFA and AFR. We know more about the laundry business than anything else. We know a little bit about a lot of things, but we know a lot about the laundry and dry cleaning business. They created a laundry detergent to sell to folks to support AFA. We just want to be able to provide a product that can be used by AFA to support the ministry. When you wash your family's clothes with Redeem Clean Laundry Detergent, you can take great satisfaction in knowing that you're supporting the vital work of the American Family Association. It's a unique way to increase your giving to AFA. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Learn more about the Redeem Clean products when you visit redeemclean.afastore.net.
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. We're a divided country, but it may be worse than we imagined. An article in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences discussed what is called motive attribution asymmetry. That's a technical term for the assumption that your ideology is based in love and your opponent's is based on hate. Put another way, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. They discovered that the average Republican and the average Democrat today are as divided as the Palestinians and Israelis. In his op-ed in the New York Times, Arthur Brooks says we see the other side as an enemy with whom one cannot negotiate or compromise. He comes to this startling conclusion. People often say that our problem in America is incivility or intolerance. He says that's incorrect. Motive attribution asymmetry leads to something far worse, contempt, which is a noxious brew of anger and disgust. And it is made worse by what he calls the outrage industrial complex that oftentimes caters to one side and criticizes the other. Now, when people hear about political conflicts, they often prescribe the wrong solutions. Just because we disagree doesn't mean we should put aside our disagreements. Arthur Brooks instead says that we need not disagree less. Instead, we need to disagree better. Whether we're discussing politics, economics, or philosophy, we should engage in a robust competition of ideas. We can disagree without being so disagreeable. So he suggests two steps. First, turn away from what he calls the rhetorical dope peddlers. These are powerful people on your side who are profiting from the culture of contempt. Second, make a commitment never to treat others with contempt. Christians should be civil and gracious. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info socialism. That's viewpoints.info socialism. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. I'm Stacy Washington, host of Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's my pleasure to be with you today, and I had to say, um, I, it's amazing to me how I can be so, like, some days, let's just be real here for five seconds, some days I'm so low energy, I'm like, what's wrong with me? And then I come in here into the little home studio, this, this room is not huge, it's like a little room here at our home, and it was like an office before I started doing this show from home for Urban Family Talk, and so I come in here and I sit down, I turn on all the lights, And, you know, I've already got my show sheet done and all that stuff. But I mean, coming in to actually sit down. And when I sit down, all of a sudden I have energy. But like two or three hours ago, I was literally dragging around like, oh, you know, the Laclede, or they're not Laclede Gas anymore, but the gas company sent some guy over here and he was roaming around our house and the dog was barking. He he was outside. And I was like, why is the dog barking? And then um, he called and I'm like, what? Is, I said, are you here? He said, yes, I'm, I'm looking for your meter. And, I, and he said, is it under your deck? I said, no, it isn't. <laughs> and it, the mean, like, rares up part of me was like, don't tell him where it is. And then the other part of me was like, but if he keeps roaming around here, like, I don't know what he looks like. I don't know who this man is. Why is he roaming around? And why does his number say he's calling from New Jersey, right? Because um, he was using his cell phone. And so He's trying to get me to tell him where it is. And I'm like, well, it's not easy for me to tell you where it is because it's, it's, it's actually hidden. And it's not, we didn't do it. It's the way it was when we bought the house. And so we're going around, you know, like he and I are going back and forth. I'm like, I will be to you in 10 minutes because I have all my, like my workout stuff. And 
I just didn't want to come downstairs looking all crazy, you know, with a scarf on. From So I was like, I had to get myself together. So I quickly, you know, made myself resentable and went outside and his car is running in the driveway, but he's not in there. So I'm like, oh, goodness gracious. You know what? Because this guy is he's driving the utility van truck. I was like, Lord, be with me because I don't want to have to go berserker on this dude. He's roaming around our property. And so it worked out fine, you know, no, no harm, no foul. But it was just one of those days where I'd been feeling like literally dragging myself around. And then that happened. And then after he left, he wasn't here long. Then I started feeling like really draggy again. And then I came in here and I sat down. I'm like, oh, I've, I've got some energy now. So weird, you know, just more tales from Stacy on the right. Um, okay, I think so now we're talking to Seton Motley, founder of Less Government, I'm not sure if he's ready with us. Seton, are you with us? Yes. Ah, awesome. Perfect. So you, sir, have more information out. Your website, give us the website for Less Government where people can find this. Lessgovernment.org. You can actually sign up for, you can call it a newsletter or whatever. I just send it an email whenever I write something. And unlike Google, I won't sell your data. (laughs) Seton's awesome. If you get his newsletter, I, I, I get it. What happens is you get this, like, it's full of links, it's full of information, and it's not, it's not so long that you're like, oh, but it's not so short that you're like, what did I just get to? It's a great newsletter. You should get it. Um, sign up for Thank that. You. Now, listen, what you're talking about now is it has to do with Internet access. Tell the people why I saw the email and I, and I was like, you have to come on. Tell them. When did you email me yesterday? Are you emailed on Tuesday, right? Uh, no, yesterday. I wanted you to come on yesterday, but you didn't have time because you were super popular. Um, (laughs) I've written four articles this week. I'm I'm blanking on which one you responded to. I apologize. Oh, so I so it's the internet access more um, more internet access and freedom on the internet. Hold on, I'm trying to pull it up. I apologize. I know, and I had all I put down. Was um, well, we got we got the stupid net neutrality thing happening again. Is that? Uh, no, I put in more internet access. Yes, I think that's net neutrality. Well, what what, what these idiots are doing? You know, I've written this, the, to me the greatest problem in DC right now is gerrymandering. We spent the last fifty years rendering 400 of the 435 House seats irrelevant in the general election. There's 60% Democrat or 60% Republican. And so the primaries are what matter. And, you know, I, I was running Texas Club for Growth, and we got involved in Northeast Texas 1 in 2004. And you go listen to seven guys and women standing next to each other going, I'm more conservative than they are. I'm more conservative than they are. Um, same thing on the left, you know. A, a Democrat's never going, I mean, a Republican's never going to win Nancy Pelosi's seat the way it's drawn. It's just not going to happen. And by the way, term limits don't fix this. All you do is replace an old Nancy Pelosi with a young Nancy Pelosi. The problem is ideology, and we don't have competitive elections in the general. So that's why we've become this hard line in D.C. Now, now we've got. We don't, have, we don't have Congress that legislates anymore. We, we have Congress that engages in legislation theater. And rather than pe- putting forward legislation that recognizes that there's a Democrat House, a Republican Senate, and a Republican president, you've got Nancy Pelosi 
putting forth stuff that has no chance of passing, mm-hmm. but looks good to their radical base. And anybody who compromises in any way, takes one step towards the other party, is going to get primary and lose the next election. So the Republicans, despite all this, you know, you got net neutrality, which is a stupid policy. It was originally bipartisan in the mid-2000s. Um, it had four principles. You won't get blocked. You won't get throttled, slowed down. And everybody agreed to it because the ISPs weren't doing that. The Internet Service Providers, Comcast, everybody, they weren't doing it. So it was just kind of this general agreement that everyone agreed to. Well, mm-hmm. now, of course, the left has used that as a rubric, as a Trojan horse, to basically apply 1934 landline phone law to the Internet. That's what Obama did in 2015. That's what Trump just undid in 2017. And so now we've got... Republicans who don't want any regulation because we know that the Internet has become a free speech, free market Xanadu with zero regulations in place. It's been a phenomenal success, probably the most successful endeavor in the history of humanity. So we want no regulation. The Democrats want this draconian Title II landline phone law imposition on the Internet. Well, the Republicans in the House have put forward three bills that say, okay, we don't want anything, but we'll, we'll, we'll put in law these four principles to which everybody agreed a decade ago. That's an actual compromise in a divided Washington that makes sense. Do any Democrats get on any of those bills? The answer is no. They come, they're going to release a bill next month in April that basically reinstates what Obama did in 2015. Now, let's analyze this. From a, from a reality standpoint, the, okay, they can jam it through the House on a party-line vote, right? Mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell will never touch this bill in the Senate. And even if Mitch McConnell falls on his head and a g- gaggle of the majority Republicans all fall on their head in the Senate and this magically, mysteriously passes the Senate, Donald Trump is not going to sign a bill that reinstates what he just undid. So that's what's going on in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Congress. And the reason you need legislation is because otherwise you have what just happened twice in the last two years. You have unilateral fiats by executive branch agencies where Barack Obama ex- executes a unilateral massive power grab on the Internet. And then two years later, Trump comes in and restores Internet freedom the way it has been for its entire existence. And mm. then, of course... What, what's the word everybody hates on Wall Street? Uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Well, this is regulatory uncertainty, uncertainty on stilts. You don't know what's going to happen if the agencies are acting unilaterally. So we want this law to pass so we can hopefully, finally, although I doubt it, I'm highly dubious, um, at least put these four tenants in law, and that way there's a law on net neutrality specifically which you would hope would, would prescribe future agency action above and beyond the boundaries of the existing law, which is, by the way, where uh, agencies are supposed to solely uh, exist, is within the confines of existing law. Okay, so <laughs> you totally just completely covered that. And I'm, yeah. I am, I'm exhausted by it, Seton. Like, I'm so tired of this. First of all, the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi 
with the control of the house. And I actually asked this question on Al Sharpton's show and, and the panel got mad at me. But I, I was trying to figure out, you know, what what do the Democrats plan on doing with control of the house that will help Americans? Not, not what do you plan on doing, investigating Republicans, investigating Donald Trump? I, I get that. Proposing bills that don't make any sense, bringing up a whole lot of nonsense, nincompoopery and trying to pass that, knowing that the president will never sign it. I get it. But what do y'all plan to do about the opioid epidemic or the supporting the president or maybe proposing something different than what the president wants to do on his negotiations with North Korea, um, things we're doing in the Middle East? I mean, we have some problems. It's not like we're problem free and they have time to just piddle around with the Internet. But that's not what they're doing. And so, again, I encourage listeners to get the. Yeah. On a platform of D.C. has screwed stuff up for half a century Mm -hmm. and we need to start fixing this stuff. And he is fixing it. I mean, he's really doing a good job with what he can do. The Democrats need to acknowledge that that's how he won. And like you said, they're pretending like there's nothing wrong and they have all this free time to do all this nonsense. Which which they don't. But they're they're not going to stop that. Now, I want to pivot over to in our last like we have like four minutes left. um, You have this other piece, government government. Crony Amazon's very many victims are finally pushing back. And you call them the they sell everything company Amazon with a market capitalization of $865 billion, And you call them a monster company. And I want people to hear this because, uh, like me, I've reduced the number of items I get on my automatic you know, pantry thing from Amazon. But I still do get some from them. Every one of us has some interaction with Amazon. It's almost impossible not to. So what are you talking about here in this piece? Okay, well, what's going on is, is of course, government is so huge that government contracts become a bigger and bigger deal. What Amazon has been doing, this is, a, okay, you got four minutes. They basically hardwired, cheated, corruptly hardwired a $10 billion Defense Department contract to be the sole provider of cloud backup services for the entire Defense Department. When it started out, it was going to be multiple providers, which, as you probably know, makes sense, rather than having one provider, because if the one provider goes down, you're offline. Well, the, the Obama administration went and hired a guy from Amazon Web Services to run the department that hires technology contractors in the Defense Department. He immediately changed the contract from multiple providers to one, and then wrote the contract in such a way that only Amazon qualified. So we started highlighting this. The Trump administration said, wait a minute, this stinks. And this this guy, his name is Deep Ubi, believe it or not, Deep Ubi. (laughs) But anyway, he said, oh, (laughs) I recuse myself. Well, he's already already rigged it. What do you mean you recuse yourself? And then literally two weeks after he recuses himself, he quits the Defense Department and goes back to work for Amazon Web Services. (laughs) so this whole thing is corrupt. We're trying to get it to be re like start the bidding process over again and exclude Amazon for being a corrupt bunch of jerks. But anyway, even bigger than that, <laughs> there's an entire government-wide bid for retail purchases, which means every post that commerce buys, every folder uh, EPA buys, every pen that the uh, HHS buys is going to be contracted out. Well, guess who's hardwired into the lead for that $50 billion deal? Amazon. Oh, jeez. So, so uh, what I'm saying is, these guys, you know, any, uh, you know, the reason I started that piece, the first Uber everything company, you, 
basically every company in America should stand up and protest and fight this because they're all going to be beat out by Amazon. And that's why I keep quoting their market cap. Every time I write about these companies, I look up their market cap to show you. These guys are bigger by far than the robber barons we've heard, you know, we've read about in history. Vanderbilt and, and Rockefeller and, and Carnegie and all these guys. They were nothing compared to these people. You're talking about a trillion-dollar company uh, who, by the way, also has the added advantage of exponentially larger government to rig and crony up that, that Rockefeller and Carnegie and Mellon uh, didn't have. They didn't have. They had little tiny governments. Sure, they could bribe them, but it didn't matter because the governments were insignificantly small. These mm-hmm. governments are huge, and these giant companies are cronying up with them, and it's getting worse and worse and worse, both from a, you know, you saw it with Amazon getting billions of dollars of our money thrown at them to, to locate their headquarters <laughs> yeah. to them getting, you know, Amazon gets a $1.47 off every package it sends uh, through the post office to all these crony contracts they keep getting. Mm. <laughs> I knew you could do it. I knew you could cover it in, in less than four minutes. <laughs> uh, so, Seton, I'm, I'm going to encourage people again, go to lessgovernment.org, right? Lessgovernment.org. And so click on the link. You can say, it says join with less government. You just put your name and your email. He doesn't sell your, your info. I've been a subscriber for years now. And what you get is you get these newsletters with this information in it. And I promise you, it's just as entertaining to read as it is to listen to Seton on the radio with me. Uh, but the good news is you don't miss any of the, the additions. And this is all he does is he just he just catalogs what the government is doing and brings it to the attention of, in this case, you know, letting the Trump administration know that this is going on. And I just want to add this as we're going out of this interview because Seton said the guy's name and I immediately started laughing. His name is Deep, D-E-A-P, Ubi, U-B-H-I. Yeah, <laughs> you Deep can Ubi. pronounce yeah. it. It's Deep Ubi. So just, you know, that's, Deep that's true. Deep Ubi. He didn't, he didn't make that up. That's the guy's name. No. So <laughs> Seton Motley, lessgovernment.org. We love it when you join us on the show. Thank you for your time today. You're very kind. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. <laughs> you guys, Seton's awesome. Um, if you if you ever met him, you would just be like, this dude is the best. He's awesome. And we really appreciate him joining us. When we come back, we have time for calls if you want. 866-963-2037. Uh, we'll have more for you. We'll kind of catch up on the show sheet uh, right after these messages. Like, I wanted to have the abortion because I was trying to hide a situation. When a young mom in crisis walks into a preborn pregnancy center, she's welcomed with open arms and given love, support, and a free ultrasound to meet her unborn baby. This young woman not only chose life for her baby, but heard the message of Jesus Christ and was comforted from the guilt and pain that plagued her. Preborn centers lead the nation in providing free ultrasounds. When an abortion-minded woman sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds, and 100% of your sponsorship goes towards saving babies. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. 
That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. The Christian life is a battle. A wise soldier puts on the whole armor of God so that he is able to stand against the wicked schemes of the devil. We can have victory over the enemy when we go into the battle, not dependent on our strength, but dependent on the strength of Almighty God. The Hour of Intercession with Joseph Parker, weekday afternoons at 1 Central on Urban Family Talk. Laura Perry. She refused to use the male pronouns or call me Jake. So what that did for me, that she didn't know at the time, that was like a tether to reality. God never let me forget who I was. And that was a radical thought to me, and I did not want to hear it at first. (laughs) When I first heard it, it really kind of made me angry. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through the 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. It's The Candidates with Brett Baer. Former Maryland Congressman John Delaney was the first Democrat to throw his hat in the ring. If we allow ourselves to be divided and we let our political debate deteriorate into an us versus them, we will all fall short. Charles Hurd, opinion editor for The Washington Times. The idea of a guy like this breaking through, uh, I I just, I I have a, a hard time imagining it. Amy Walter, national editor of Cook Political Report. What he's banking on, Democrats are going to be fighting amongst themselves on the left. And John Delaney becomes the big tent candidate, but is not going to push the party. And that's the only kind of person who can beat Donald Trump. Chris Steyerwald, Fox News politics editor. Look for the people who get better at running. Donald Trump started out, and I said, what? But then as he went, he figured out the game pretty quickly, and he got better at it as he went. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. I'm Brett Baer, and we'll see you next time. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Next is Richard Schwartz. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, before you start the clock, could you stop it for a second? I, it's real discouraging to come up here and see all the heads down. It's, it's like, you know, Sir, you, you're on a two-minute timer here, so let's go. I'm not, I don't follow you. You're on a two-minute timer. Could you start it over, please? No, we're not going to. Just go ahead. So it was unreasonable to be asked that people look up and give me their attention? Sir, you have two minutes. We're all looking at you. You have two minutes. Now you have a minute and 30 seconds. Okay, well, I guess I won't be able to say it. Um, last week, you limited, uh, this kind of goes to the heart of what I was going to talk about, which was the state of our democracy. Last week, you limited speakers because of the number of speakers to one minute each, but you allowed... Uh, Mila Jayapal to speak as long as she wanted to. It was four or five minutes. And it reminded me of uh, George Orwell's famous saying from Animal Farm about how all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how I feel like I'm being treated now, just because I was kind of asking for your attention. Like, I noticed you all were very attentive to Miss Jayapal the other last week. So what you're listening to there is a Seattle City Council meeting and the gentleman that you hear is his private citizen. Uh, he's really kind of putting them in their place when the members wouldn't even look up from their computers to give him their attention. Now, okay, so full disclosure, 
as a school board member, I would sit in such scenarios just like that where we're seated in a semicircle table, seated, seated at the table. We were never lifted up above our constituents. We were all at the same level in, in, a, in a public meeting space in the Board of Education. And people would come in and they'd have to, if they wanted to make public comment during the public comment period, they would step up to this little podium with a microphone we had set up. And they would state their name and address to prove that they were constituents because the only way you could make public comment at our meetings was you had to be a part of the Ladue School District, the, the, the space there. You had to be a taxpayer in the district, meaning you live there. And uh, so it's a similar situation to this guy. And they'd had a really volatile meeting the week before. And a lot of people made comments. And one person was allowed to speak uninterrupted without having the time li- limit enforced on them. And he wanted them to look up. And in the image, you see... One has his hand over his mouth, over his face. He's staring down. Some of them are literally hunched over their computers to try to avoid looking at him. The other ones are kind of looking at him and sighing because they all have microphones too. And the guy is just, he wants to make, he wants to read his comment. And uh, he's just not able to do so because he wants them to pay attention to what he's saying and they're refusing to look up. Now, she basically tells him he's got two minutes. He asks to restart the time. They start sighing and whatnot. And, you know, um, they, 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 don't, they don't extend his time. Now, let's, let's play devil's advocate for one second. We know for a fact that sometimes city council meetings, school board meetings, public meetings can be hijacked by people who they want to make prolonged comments that they've prepared. They spend the whole week, you know, kind of wordsmithing and fine-tuning their comments and then they get up there and they don't want to sit down and sometimes these people can make nuisances of themselves because they hinder the good proper order of the meeting and so that that's why they have the time limits to stop people from coming up and just pontificating forever i mean if you're a talker you know guilty as charged ding 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 um you can get up there and you can just talk for just interminably and that is the way to derail public meetings and make it so that first of all no one comes and they never get anything done that being said I don't think he was saying he didn't want to have a time limit for himself. He was pointing out that Democratic U.S. Representative Pramila Jayapal of Seattle just stood up there and pontificated while everyone else only got a minute. And that was the last meeting. Now, they'd never responded to the fact that they gave her all of that time and they didn't give it to regular taxpayers, which means it's her. She's more important than everybody else. Now, what do we know about the Seattle City Council? Well, Councilmember Savant, the one who was talking to him, has made a few headlines since her election in 2013. She's an avowed socialist. She also was an Occupy Seattle organizer. Uh, she's the author of a Seattle Times op-ed a few years back that, um, you know, she, she really wants to address homelessness. And she was one of the people who brought forward that bill that had to be rescinded that was going to tax Amazon $275 per employee in the city of Seattle to help in their homeless program or problem. So they repealed the Amazon tax because they were let know that, you know, hey, it, we'll leave. If you tax us $275 an employee, we'll, we will leave your city. And they had to bow down because they need that tax revenue. But the bigger issue here is that, and, and I, I hate it for this guy, But he said, in our democracy, that's not the way it's supposed to work in our democracy. We don't have a democracy. A democracy is simple mob rule. They have a city council there. Each city council member represents a part of the city of Seattle. Those individuals are representatives 
of the taxpayers that elected them. So there's a representative form of government. It's not a simple democracy, which is mob rule. And this guy is as well-intentioned as he is, is probably someone who voted for one of those nincompoops sitting up there behind that dais. So you get what you vote for. Voting is a transaction. And anyone who is dissatisfied with their representation has the right to organize and remove that representation and come back with somebody who you think will better represent you. But what's interesting about this is that he's getting bitten back by these same individuals, these leftists, these progressives who once they're elected, they don't give a hoot about what you have to say about what they're doing. We see this all the time. They only come around and look interested in what you have to say when it's time for them to be reelected. But in between that time, they're voting and hobnobbing and getting the lobby lunches and everything else. And they don't care what you think. And and that's a huge difference from at least some of what I've seen from Republican representation. I'm just speaking for myself. When I was elected to school board, when people contacted me, I took it seriously. I returned phone calls. I returned emails. I had lunch with people when they would ask me, can we have coffee? Can we have lunch? I would do it. And when they would accost me and, you know, with, with some tale of woe or something that they had, were concerned about. And I would have my little unmentionables in a basket and I'd be walking in the, the Walgreens. And I'm like, I'm just here to buy these things that these are the things you buy at Walgreens. You know what they are. And, <laughs> and they would stop me. Oh, I'm so glad I ran into you. I yada, yada, yada. I would let them explain everything they needed to explain. I would give them brief feedback and tell them that if they wanted to discuss it more, we could meet or we could have a phone call or they could email me and I could direct to the, the proper channel to make sure something happened. Often the thing that would be the subject of the discussion would be something that I as a school board member really couldn't do anything about. Specifically, it was an issue that needed to be taken up with a school administrator or even a principal or a teacher. But I felt responsible to these people. And part of it is because when I ran for school board and I lost, I had 450 letters. I got bouquets of flowers. People were just reaching out and literally saying, don't give up. Don't leave the district. Don't leave the area. Keep, keep working. We still need you. We still need you as a part of what we're doing here. And that kind of interaction, that and the fact that my campaign was funded by people literally writing me checks at the grocery store and they'd bump into me mailing checks to my house, that, that kind of interaction from people means they're not only depending on you, they're interacting with you because there's a respect there. They're like, look, you're, you're doing something that I don't have the time to do. And so we want you to just don't forget, we're, we're sending you there. Don't forget us. And most Americans feel that way about their elected representatives. But we don't have that kind of interaction because, well, first of all, we have congressional districts of hundreds of thousands of people, senators, you know, there's uh, 5 million people in the state of Missouri, 5.5 million, something like that. We have two senators. I'm not saying that's wrong. We shouldn't have, we don't need four senators. But the point is, we're a smaller state. And so two senators, they divide that number of people and they're representing all of us. The congressional members have fewer people, but still it's a lot of people for them to actually keep in contact with. And the likelihood of you running into your house rep in the Walgreens or the grocery store is just minuscule because they spend most of their time in D.C. But these people are still accountable to us, whether it's a city council member or, you know, the county executive or a senator. They are responsible to us. And our representative form of government doesn't change just because they have more of us to deal with. And they should feel responsible enough to us to raise their head up from their computer and look at us when we're making a comment in public to respond to our emails. Their staffers should respond. 
to meet with us if we have a concern that is pressing that their office can actually do something about. And our responsibility to them is to manage them. And when they don't pass muster, our responsibility to them is to remove them from office, whether it's by voting someone else in, primarying them during the primary, or recalling them from office through the proper channels. And when we start to do that, they will start to behave as if we are their bosses. But they won't act that way. An unmanaged employee is someone who will not acknowledge your authority after an amount of time has passed by. It's a ruined employee because you have to fire them in order to get someone in there who will listen to you. So if you don't manage an employee, they will eventually become that. And and that is what we're seeing with our elected representatives in Washington, D.C. And I, I just think it's a huge shame. Um, and I really felt bad for this guy listening to him. He, he had something he wanted to say, but he knew he wasn't going to get their attention. And it was just a waste of his time. Um, and, and, but it's what he voted for. And I hope he plans on voting differently. But a lot of these people are saying in Seattle and other places, they're saying, I'm sick of this. I'm moving out. I just hope when they move, they don't take their wrongheaded ideas that ruined Seattle, ruined New York. They voted these people in and then take them, these ideas someplace else and ruin some other good place. All right. I want to get to this audio from President Trump where he says he is fine with people seeing the Mueller report. He was outside the White House. You'll hear a background noise. I believe Marine One is in the background. And the reporters are asking him questions. He's doing a quick gaggle because remember, they're not doing press briefings on a daily basis anymore. But the president makes himself available. They get to yell at him and ask him questions. And he answers. Here it is. It's number two. I don't mind. I mean, frankly, I told the House, if you want, let him see it. Again, I say a deputy, because of the fact that the attorney general uh, didn't have the courage to do it himself, a deputy that's appointed appoints another man to write a report. I just won an election with 63 million votes or so, 63 million. I had 206 to 223 in the electoral college, 306 to 223. And I'm saying to myself, wait a minute, I just won one of the greatest elections of all time in the history of this country, and even you will admit that. And now I have somebody writing a report that never got a vote. It's called the Mueller report. So explain that, because my voters don't get it, and I don't get it. Now, at the same time, let it come out, let people see it. That's up to the attorney general. We have a very good attorney general. He's a very highly respected man. And we'll see what happens. But it's sort of interesting that a man out of the blue just writes a report. I got 306 electoral votes against 223. That's a tremendous victory. I got 63 million more. I got 63 million votes. And now somebody just writes a report. I think it's ridiculous. But it is ridiculous. Um, and, and the president is right. Um, he won the election. And this is just an attempt to undo that result. That's all it is. It's an attempt to undo the results of the election. And the fact that he keeps telling these reporters that and they keep they seem like they almost can't comprehend it and they're not interested in comprehending it. And, and you know what? I guess what we have to do is we have to just acknowledge that 
these people are going to be throwing this temper tantrum for two more years. As disheartening as it is to acknowledge that, that's where we are with a bunch of grown people, but the inside of them is still in toddlerville, which is an insult to toddlers because toddlers hug you and kiss you and you get a lot like when your toddler is having a temper tantrum, there's so many benefits to having a toddler that you can, you can deal with it. But grownups, you're getting nothing. You're getting none of that. They're not as cute. They don't have fat arms and fat legs. Um, not, not fat in the cute way. And these people, they're not cute. They're not small. They're not loving. They're not a part of your family. They're just, they're just disgusting, immature adults who don't have the ability to accept that they lost. And yesterday on the show, we had some audio and we discussed a little bit how this, this is this democratic thing that it's the thing Democrats do. They, they lose an election, they have to sue about it. They lose an election, they have to change the electoral college. They lose an election, they need 16-year-olds to vote. They lose elections, they need to bring in foreigners and make them lawful by illegal immigration. Um, you know, candidates, uh, the blonde one, her name is slipping my mind right now. Uh, she was just talking about um, that illegal aliens deserve the right to pay into Social Security. Gillibrand, Kirsten Gillibrand. She's a presidential candidate on the D side. She says illegal aliens need to have the right to vote. They need to be able to pay into Social Security. They need to pay taxes. That would mean they're citizens. What is she talking about? We know she's not that stupid, so this is a way they can force America into socialism. And they wonder why we are not for that. God bless Donald Trump. Let's hope he wins again. But right now, that's the end of the show. God bless you from the heartland, citizens. Until tomorrow. Have a good evening. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.